Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. This morning, we're going to step into something that has really been on my heart for probably the last two and a half months. And we're going to begin a, a series today over the next three weeks of, of what I believe is one of the most um, misunderstood and untapped resource for the Christian, for the follower of Christ. And I think if we're all real honest, what we're going to talk about is something that we all from time to time struggle with. We all struggle with what we call prayer. We all struggle with time to pray, how to pray, what to pray. And so we find out that what is supposed to be such a resource of blessing for us honestly falls on us sometimes as a struggle because we go back and forth so much. And you know, maybe you're struggling right now in your prayer life. Maybe your prayer life is just a constant battle. But what my heart is is behind this and where God is leading us is One of the biggest reasons I believe that prayer is so underutilized is because we as Christians have simply complicated it. We've simply complicated this, this resource that God has given us by way of the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And if you're anything like me, when something's complicated and I don't understand it very well, I don't utilize it. I don't utilize it because sometimes maybe it's intimidating or I don't know all the ins and outs. But if we were to examine all of our prayer lives today, I think the one thing that we would realize is that our prayer life often operates on on one of two tracks. And one of those tracks, a lot of times our prayer life only consists of the things that we need from God. That you let disaster come in your family, you lose a job, you let tragedy come, you let sickness show up, And now all of a sudden, we're gonna utilize our prayer life because we're in desperation of it. We need it. So there's one track. The other track is, is maybe your prayer life, the track that it runs on is just simply the monotony of every day. Maybe you simply, you you pray for the protection and the provision of your home and your children. You pray that God gives you all the resources that you need. You pray for safety. You, You pray for blessings. And maybe that's the extent of your prayer life. Now, What I do want you to hear me say is there's nothing wrong with this, okay? There's nothing wrong with with talking about all of these things to God. Philippians 4, verse 6, this is a verse that a lot of us have heard many times talking about prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there's nothing wrong with making your request known to God, But what I'm so burdened about, I believe that at the heart of all of it, we as the church, we as Christians, we as spirit-filled followers of Christ, we're selling ourselves short of when it comes to the power of prayer. 
because we don't fully understand it. Now look, you're not gonna ever fully understand it, but my heart for the next three weeks is to try to simplify this in the best way I know how so that it brings more understanding because I believe that if we better understand it, we're gonna more utilize it. And so there's three things that we're gonna talk about over the next three weeks in light of prayer. We're gonna talk about the purpose of prayer, which is today. We're gonna talk about the purpose of prayer, the posture of prayer, and the persistency of prayer. Y'all know me. It's gonna be pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple guy. And so today, as we look at the purpose of prayer, you're gonna realize that there's a lot of earth-shattering news when it comes to the purpose of prayer. And with that, I'm being completely sarcastic. We've complicated the purpose of prayer. You know, last week, as we shared our heart, talking about reaching the next generation, talking about reaching our young people, we've mentioned the survey that we sent out to all of our students and we sent out a questionnaire for them to be able to answer that one question is, what do I wish my parents knew? If I wish my parents knew what? And anonymously, our students got to fill that out and they got to send it back. And, and I read some of those responses last week. I was thinking about this. If I would have had more time, I would have done it. I wish I would have sent out a survey to you as church members and said, hey, I wanna know what your thoughts on are for prayer. What's, what do you think the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is blank and anonymously allow you to respond so that we could have unpacked some of those, those questions or some of those statements. Because I think if we were real, real honest, we would have probably all been very similar in what the purpose of prayer is. And so while there would have been a plethora of answers, they would have been from all over the map. What I've tried to do is what I wanna share with you is just several reasons of not necessarily what your thoughts on are on the purpose of prayer, well, but let's look at what prayer's not. I think it may help us understand what prayer is when we first recognize what prayer is not. So there's several things that I wanna mention to you that prayer is not, and I want you to write these down if you can. Um, take notes if you want to, but the first thing that prayer is not is prayer is not a bargaining tool with God. How many times are we guilty of allowing our prayer life to be a bargaining tool with God? God, if you will perform this way, then I will do this. It's always that A plus B equals C. And so we always try to bargain with God when it comes to prayer. Another thing is, is prayer is not an opportunity for us to make demands of God. It's not an opportunity for us to tell God what to do. We can make our requests known, but we're not responsible for ordering God around. Another one that prayer is not, prayer is not just an opportunity to present a wish list. How often do we treat a holy and a righteous God like Santa Claus? We just tell him what we want. Lastly, prayer is not a way to control the outcome of our circumstances. A lot of times we try to utilize prayer to control how things are gonna turn out. Again, it's okay to make your request be made known, but if that request doesn't turn out the way we planned, can our faithful heart seeing it as well? Can our faithful heart seeing it as well, even if it doesn't turn out the way we want it to? You know, one of the, most convicting things is probably the list that we just read. 
Because there's some of us in the room that maybe you're in a place right now where you can say, oh, wait a minute, I thought that's what prayer was. I can speak for myself and say that I've gone through journeys in my prayer life when this list was exactly my only view of what prayer was. And I want you to hear my heart today. It's okay if that's where you're at. It's okay if that's your view on prayer, but my, my prayer has been is that God is gonna simplify what prayer is all about over the next three weeks. And again, the reason that I want it to be simple is I want you to understand it because when we understand it, we utilize it. It's really that simple. <laughs> so when we look at the purpose of prayer, the first thing that we have to do is we have to look at the purpose of prayer through different lenses. Because oftentimes when we look at prayer through our lenses, through our eyes, prayer is always about what's in it for me. Prayer is always centered around us. We're always the object or the centerpiece of our prayer life. And so I think to better understand prayer, I want us to take the lenses of our eyes off and I want us to pick up the lenses of the Father. And let's look at prayer through the lenses of our creator. Let's look at prayer through the lenses of the one who's created us, who wants to have this relationship with us. And so what we're gonna do here in just a moment is the very same thing that we did when we introduced our Belong Become Build series as we shared, we talked about the best way to talk about belonging, that God wants us to belong to him and belong to a church, is to more or less look at God. Let's hear the heart of God. And when we hear the heart of God, this will all begin to make more sense. And so when we think about the heart of God, what we're gonna see is God's heart behind prayer. And it all goes back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter one, I want you to flip there with me. And look, I'm gonna go ahead and warn you, don't try to flip every time we flip today. Okay, they're gonna, it's gonna be on the screen. If you wanna go back and read them later, you just jot the address down and you can unpack that when you get home and read it further. But if, you get, if you're anything like me, I get so frustrated when, when preachers use a lot of scripture because by the time I find the verse, they're reading the last word. I didn't hear anything they said, and now I'm already paying attention to where we're going next. So I'm gonna save you the, the grief in that. So it's gonna be on the screen. Jot it down. You can go back and read it later. But in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, we get a glimpse of the heart of God when he created. It said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you realize that when God created everything, God have cre could have created whatever he wanted to do. Whatever he wanted, God could have made it. But what God chose to do was to create us, man and woman, in his own image. And we asked the question, well, why did God want to create us in his image? Why did he wanna do this? And because what we realized is that God wanted us to be in his image so that we as humans would have common ground with God the creator. That there would be common ground, that we would have something in common with one another. Because what we find is that the heart of God is that he, at the root of all of it, has a desire to fellowship with his creation. He has a desire to fellowship with those he creates. 
We know that this is the heart of God because God's always been about community. We've talked about this before. Him being the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Him being God could have done it whatever way he wanted to, but he decided to create three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So he's always been about community. And so then he creates Adam and Eve in his own image because he desired to have fellowship and to commune with them. When we look at the word fellowship, it comes from the word koinonia, and it is a partnership. It's sharing something in common. You're gonna hear the word commune some today. The fact that the creator wants to commune with his creation means this. It's a group of people living together and sharing possessions and responsibility. The fact that God the creator has created man and woman in his own image and invited us to share in everything and to share in his mission, to share in his ministry, ought to bring us to our knees and say, God, who am I that you've invited me in to share your responsibility? How humbling is that, that God, the creator, has invited us in to do the impossible. To do the impossible. But God desires the fellowship with his creation. Now look, I don't wanna break your hearts, but I'm about to. To all you animal lovers, I know Christy's already offended back there, You realize that God created the animals before he did man and woman, right? What that lets us know is that animals don't satisfy. I know some of you are going, oh, all I need is my little kitty. All I need is my precious dogs. No, God had all that. And he said, oh, these animals ain't gonna cut it. I want fellowship with something that's in my image so that I can have something in common. So I don't know what your animals are today. Maybe it's a dog, maybe it's a cat, parakeet. Do they even have parakeets anymore? I know when I was little, like that was the thing, you got to have parakeets. Maybe it's a gerbil, a hamster. I had a chipmunk one time too. I think he died of a heart attack because he got on the hamster wheel and the next morning he was laying there dead. Um, but of all these animals, nothing satisfied like fellowship with an individual, with someone that I have something in common with. That's the heart of God, is God knew that these animals would not satisfy, so he took it a step further and he created man and woman in his own image because he simply desired the fellowship with his creation. Now, to get a, even a closer look at the heart of God, I'm gonna read a, a passage that we read just two, three weeks ago talking about belonging. In Genesis chapter three, verse eight, you're gonna see the heart of God. It says, and they, talking about Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. I want you to highlight, I want you to circle, underline, whatever, that word walking. Heard them walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And a man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, this is one of those times that when we look at the scripture, it's better to understand what was being communicated in the original language because it helps us to get a 
deeper view of what is actually taking place. Because oftentimes when we've talked about this passage, Genesis chapter three, verse eight, that, that God is walking in the garden and that he's looking for Adam and Eve, that they hid, that, they're, that he's seeking that, he's seeking to find them. Oftentimes our minds can go that God is pursuing man and woman because they've messed up. That, oh, they've, 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 they've destroyed everything, they have broken the fellowship, and so now I'm gonna go find them because they've messed this up and we've, we've gotta correct it and I've gotta talk to them, we gotta do all those things. But when we look at this word walking, what I want you to understand is in the original language, the definition of walking is this. It comes from the Hebrew word halak. And it's a repetitive and habitual movement in such a way that this is the same word in the original language that is used in Genesis chapter two, verse 14, when it's talking about river flow. It's talking about the flowing of the river. And so obviously the river's not walking, but the river would halak, meaning that it was constantly moving, that it was an habitual and a repetitive movement. So the fact when we look at that and we know that God is walking in the garden, he's halak in the garden. This is something that he habitually and regularly did every day because he desired the fellowship with his creation. Every day he's in the garden because he wants to spend time with his children. This is not something that he just did in response to the fall of mankind. This is something that he did every day was to desire the fellowship with Adam and Eve that he dearly loved because they were his. He constantly was moving about their business. He was constantly with them. And so when we would just pause for just a minute, understanding that when the Bible talks about walking into the garden, this was the foreshadowing of Jesus because a lot believe that this is physically Jesus walking in the garden before he's mentioned in the New Testament. And so Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus was constantly seeking the fellowship of those he loved, guess what? Jesus has not changed. Jesus is still halaking. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but he is still moving. He is still about your business. And if we could just for a moment, take time out and close our eyes and just think about what is spiritually going on right now, even in this room, that the presence of God is halaking around the room. He is moving around the room. He is seeking to have fellowship with every Every blood-bought believer in the room, he is seeking that fellowship. And he's moving about the room because he just wants to fellowship with his children. It's exactly what began in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was constantly moving. And the Jesus that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is still his desire. This is still his heart, is to simply fellowship with one another. So all that being said, if we're looking at prayer through the lenses of our Father, it's the fact that, that God regularly and habitually pursues fellowship with you. He's just waiting. And we know that when we look all throughout the New Testament or Old Testament, 
even into the New Testament. God desired this fellowship so much that we know that that's the storyline of the Bible. We've overcomplicated that as well. The storyline of the Bible is to simply reconcile a severed relationship to a creator God who loves you. That's it. That's the Bible in a nutshell. And so when we read through the Old Testament, we see all of these things that, that, that God was putting into place to play into the role of reconciling that relationship. We read about all of the sacrifices that were made. We read about all the laws. We read about all the systems. We, we read about all the priests. We're gonna look in a moment at the Ark of the Covenant. And so when we look at all this, we kept seeing that things were being added to and that these, these, these visions were being given and they were being written down. And, and if we read that on the surface, we would read that and say, well, God, God just couldn't get his act together. God wanted to rescue us, but he tried this, that didn't work. He tried this, that didn't work. He tried this and that didn't work. So what is the Old Testament about? The Old Testament about is not about God messing things up, but it's planting the seeds in us because we realize that these laws and all of this religious act, you realize very quickly that you can't do it. And so all of it is pointing to the need of a coming Messiah and the need of a coming Savior. It's birthing that in us, that yearning desire that I can't do this. All throughout the Old Testament, they constantly realized we can't do this. We can't meet this expectation to be in the holiness of this almighty God. And so then all of a sudden we see that the son of God began to be prophesied, that there's coming a Messiah, there's coming a king, there's coming the savior in the world of the world. So all of mankind's failures was always pointing to the savior that he's coming. He's coming in way of my son and I'm gonna let him be murdered because I love you that much that that's the only way we will ever be reconciled. That's the only way we will ever have fellowship together is by way of the sacrifice of my son. And so when we think about that, we realize that Jesus was simply coming to do what man couldn't do. And through Jesus' life and through his death and then ultimately through his resurrection, it changed everything. It changed everything. Flip to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. And I'm just gonna simply read two verses and this helps us understand what took place in the moment of Jesus's death, what was offered to his children, what was offered to those who would place their faith in the finished work of what Jesus has done. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51, it says, and Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. You see, the significant part about that passage is simply what we've even heard about this morning already. 
was the fact that the veil was torn. The veil was ripped from top to bottom. And to understand that, what we realize and what you can learn through reading of the scripture is that the, the Ark of the Covenant was what represented the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant would have been, would have been placed in this small room that was behind this veil that we just read, read about. There would have been a priest that we would have gone to and the priest would have taken a blood sacrifice and gone into the Holy of Holies and stepped into the Ark of the Covenant and offered this sacrifice and offered this bloodshed for the forgiveness of his sins as well as the forgiveness of the others. And so the access to God was limited. But what we see is that when the veil was torn, For lack of better words, we have an all access pass to an almighty God by way of Jesus Christ becoming that high priest that did what we cannot do. But you see, the, oftentimes the Ark of the Covenant would be removed from this Holy of Holies when there was a battle to be fought or when the presence of God was needed somewhere. And then after it was accomplished, they would be taking the Ark of the Covenant back to the Holy of Holies. And what I wanna ask you is this. I think if we look back and we're real, real honest, we still treat the presence of God as if he's behind a veil in representation of the Ark of the Covenant. And what I mean by that is you let tragedy come, you let a battle in the family come, you let sickness come, then what we all of a sudden do is we try to go get the presence of God and say, God, you're needed over here. I need you to perform a miracle. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And then God shows up. And what we simply do is open the veil and place him back up and say, hey, you know what? I'll be back when I need you again. I think that would simplify a lot of our prayer lives if we were trying to sum it up. Because we really only want the presence of God when we need him to perform in some way for us. So really, we've not graduated from the Old Testament to the New Testament yet. Because remember, the presence of God is always on the move. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the presence of God is there whether you want it or not, because he's moving about his people. And so you say, well, Brian, why in the world are we talking? This is supposed to be the purpose of prayer. You've gone from Genesis, now you're in Matthew. We're not done, we got some more places to go too. You say, well, what, what's, how, what, is, what is this teaching me about the purpose of prayer? You're about to hear the simplicity of prayer. All of this that God is doing is because God desires to fellowship with his children. So if we're gonna simplify prayer, here is the simplification of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to fellowship with God. That's it. The purpose of prayer is for you to fellowship and commune with your creator for you to sit down with him because you have access by way of Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest, the sacrificed lamb of God. When you place your faith in him, you now have access to God, the creator. So the simplicity of prayer, what's the purpose? It's to fellowship with your father. 
And you know, just like our earthly relationships, who do you desire to be around and to be with? The one you love, right? But more importantly, you desire to be around the one that you know loves you. It's a desire in us. Husbands and wives, the reason you're sitting there right now together is because you desire to be in the presence of that one because you know they love you. Ashton and Corey just getting back from their honeymoon. I said, y'all have fun? They said, yeah. I said, y'all still married? They said, yeah. Praise God. The reason they're still married is because they know that they love one another. Corey desires to be in her presence because he knows she loves him. She desires to be in his presence because she knows that he loves her. And so when we talk about prayer, it's all about desiring to be in the presence of the one you know who loves you. And if I'm real honest, I've been carrying a heavy, heavy weight talking about prayer. Because in my mind, I have wrestled with this. Okay, at the end of three weeks, I hope this room's full of a bunch of people that know how to pray. And the reason I say that is because we're about to step into a, a whole new world of prayer. We're gonna start putting events on the calendar that are centered around, guess what? Prayer. October 30th. It's a Sunday night. Yes, I said Sunday night. Afternoon, late evening. We're gonna meet here at six o'clock p.m., and we're gonna introduce something that we're gonna start doing every, was it four weeks? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, once a quarter, three to four of these a year, where we're gonna to gather together as a church and we're gonna pray for the nations. We're gonna tell you what that's all about that night, what it'll look like. But if we're gonna saturate the world, don't you think it's time that we as a church ought to start praying for the world? And so that's what we're gonna do that night at six o'clock. We're gonna gather together and we'll, we'll pass and cast the vision of what this prayer for the nations is all about. But what I've been set free from is I thought, you know, okay, God, well, depending upon how many shows up, gonna tell me how good I preached those last three weeks. But God said, no, you know what? It's not your responsibility to get them to pray. Don't you carry the weight of teaching people to pray. Yes, I'm gonna try to teach you. I don't even know what that really means to teach you how to pray. All I can do is tell you to sit down and have a conversation with God. But at the end of the day, here's all prayer is about. It's you desiring to be in the presence of the one you love. So what my responsibility is in teaching you about prayer is to teach you to fall in love with God. Because if you can fall in love with God, you're gonna have a desire to be in his presence. And so God says, Brian, here's how you teach them to pray. You just tell them about me. Okay, I can do that. So that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna read several passages that will simply remind you of the very things that you already know. But I think if we reflect on our prayer life, it would probably let us know a little bit that we've forgotten these simple truths. Romans chapter five, verses eight through 11. Again, just write these down. You've heard these verses before, but I want you to make note of them because all we're doing is putting on display the love of God. Romans chapter five, verse eight through 11. 
But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through his son. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, not ours, by his life. Verse 11, and not only this, but we also exalt God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've been made right with God as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of somebody else, not you. First John chapter four, verses nine through 11. By this love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we may have life through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Did you catch that? We get to commune and fellowship with God, not based off how much we've loved him, but we get to based off the fact that he loved us first. That's how we commune with God. That's how we are invited into a relationship with God is because he loved us, not that we loved him enough. It's because he loved us enough. Then we go on to read in this love, not that we've loved him, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. So all of these systems, all of these laws, all the priests, all the sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament, it exposed how flawed we were as human beings. And God says, I'm allowing you to fail so that I can provide to you the victory because I'm gonna send my son to do the very thing that you can't do. I'm gonna send my son to, to live a life of perfection because you can't do it. And so my son's gonna come and he's gonna be perfect and he's gonna not sin, but he's gonna become sin because we serve a just God. Sin has to be punished by way of death and so to protect us, because his love for us, he says, I'm going to allow my son to live perfectly and I'm going to allow my sin to pay the price, the death that is yours, the punishment that is yours. I'm going to watch it be done to my dearly loved son. Church, there is no better definition. It's one thing to lay down your life for someone else, but it's a whole nother story to lay down the life of your child for someone else. Because look, y'all hear me say it all the time. I love you. I do. But I love my five kids a little more. And if I, and y'all may think, well, you're awful selfish. If I could provide you something by way of death of my children, good luck. I ain't doing it. 
much less sit around and watch it happen, knowing that I had the power and the authority to stop it. Church, that's love. That is love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. We weren't good enough yet. We weren't following all the rules. We weren't being perfect. We weren't being holy. We were a mess. We were actually enemies of God. And even in light of us being enemies of God, God sends his son to be murdered so that these enemies could be reconciled to him. (laughs) Makes absolutely no sense to my carnal mind. That's love. That is love. And I don't know about you, but when somebody loves me like that, man, I wanna be around them. I wanna be in their presence. But here's the promise. When this desire to be in the presence begins to boil, when it begins to become stirred, when it begins to become a hungry, when it becomes a thirst in us to be in the presence of God, what I love about it is we see again that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we read what the prophet Hosea said, look at, look at what Hosea says. Hosea chapter six, verse three. This is a promise about being in the presence of God. If I, can, I got so many sticky notes, it ain't even funny. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth, listen to this, is as certain as the dawn and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. James chapter four, verse eight is a verse we're all familiar with. Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. So when we learn to love God, when we learn to have this desire to be in his presence, you are promised from his word, his character, because he is truth. If you'll just draw near to me, I'm gonna draw near to you. There's no stipulations. There's no strings attached. It is a promise. Because what the enemy is gonna tell you The enemy's gonna tell you that you don't deserve to be in the presence of God. Because you know why? The enemy fears a praying believer. I read this in a book this past week and it talks about the enemy and what he knows about prayer. We have a terrible enemy who knows that the prayer of a Christian is his undoing. The enemy who knows that the prayer is his undoing. It goes on to say, if Satan had 10 atomic bombs and the freedom to use them, he would drop them on the 10 most effective prayer chambers in the world. Can I tell you, church, that's what I wanna be a part of. I wanna be a part of a church that if the enemy had 10 atomic bombs that he could drop on a house of prayer, that he would say, hey, you know what? Chestnut Mountain is target number one because I fear them when they pray. I fear the presence of God in that place because it's a lot of people who are completely dependent upon his power and not their own. 
Because our prayer life is what causes him to be undone. But you know, the one thing that we often forget is that as the enemy tries to tell you you're unworthy, as the enemy tries to tell you that you have made too big of a mess to commune with God, always keep in mind that our fellowship and our communion with the Father has nothing to do with you. John chapter 14, verse six. This is a verse that we often use when it comes to salvation. And it's where Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I believe that also spills over into our prayer life. That the reason that we can approach the throne room of God, the reason that we can approach the feet of our creator is because we approach in the confidence of what Jesus has already done. So when we've made a mess of our week, when we've made a mess of our home, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can still approach the throne of grace with all the confidence in the world. Because as Jared was talking earlier, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding, that means praying, on your behalf. He's in your defense. There's no better defense attorney than Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so when we approach the throne room of God, when we approach the feet of our Savior, we carry the burden of our sin. We carry the burden of our wickedness. But as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the holy and righteous God, and we approach, he says, hey, Father, there with me. They believe in what I've done. They believe in what you sent me to do. And because of that, church, that gives us all the confidence in the world that no matter where you're at this morning as a follower of Christ, no matter how far you've drifted, maybe you've not acknowledged prayer in a year, keep in mind, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you because of the finished work of his son. Not because of you. Not because of anything you're doing or not doing. You know, oftentimes, I simply try to make it as simple as I can because I need it as simple as I can get it. And as a parent, I think about my children. You know, maybe you're a mom or a dad in the room and, and as a mom or dad, there's one thing that means the world to you. And that's the fellowship with your child. There's nothing sweeter than sitting with your child and holding and talking and sometimes not even saying a word. So maybe your child this morning, maybe your, your child has gone astray. Maybe you haven't talked to your child in a year, two years. Or maybe your kids are at that age right now where they're like that 15, 16, 17, and you're not cool anymore. 
and they don't sit with you anymore. They don't talk with you anymore. As a mom or dad, how do you respond? No matter what your kid's done, no matter what they're doing, no matter where they've been, you let that phone ring and your child's name's on it. Everything stops. And all they're doing is trying to draw near. Because of the love that you have for them, what do, the, what do you do in response? You draw near to them. It doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. But the second they call the name daddy, daddy's going to be there. As a mama, the first time you hear that child call mommy, it don't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. But you have an instinct in your body because they're yours. You're going to turn. You're going to respond. And when they draw near to you, you're going to draw near to them. If we have a love like that, how much a greater love does a heavenly father who created us hear when we cry out to him, Father, I am sorry. I can promise you the father does. He doesn't look and say, ah, you shouldn't have done that. And we'll talk about it later once I calm down a little bit. Because remember, the son of God's at his right hand. And he's saying, that's the very thing I've already paid for. And so when we approach the throne of grace and we call out to God, God, I need your help. God, I'm sorry for I failed you. God, I'm sorry I'm not acknowledging you. I'm sorry I've not prayed in months. God, I'm sorry that I've treated you like the Ark of the Covenant. They only take you out when I need you. Can I tell you this morning, you take a step to him. And according to the word, he's gonna step near to you. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. you know the weakest Christian is a prayerless Christian as we were getting ready this morning Brandon Sloan was talking about it and he said you know that a lot of times when we're around people they can tell if we've prayed or not <laughs> that is true husbands do not look at your wife when you get home and say I can tell you ain't prayed today do not use that but there's a reason that the enemy doesn't want us praying. Because when we're praying, we're in step with God. We're walking with him. We're walking in his power. We're walking in his grace. So maybe just simply your prayer life has been distracted. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. 
Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.